which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Morning. First John chapter 2. Grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under the seat uh, somewhere in front of you. If you don't actually own a Bible, steal one of those that are under the chairs. We don't care. First John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6 will be on the screen. The rest of the passages, I'm just going to jump around. You can try and keep up if you like. Um, do you believe those things that you were just singing? That His love never fails, it never gives up, never runs out on you. That one thing remains. Um, do, you, do you want what you just sang about to be changed? And specifically, do you, do you understand, do you grasp that it, it has to be necessarily an inside-out thing? <laughs> it, it doesn't work any other way. You're going to see that today, First John chapter two. When uh, when I got to college, some of you know I played uh, small college ball, football. When I got there, I remember first day of practice in pads. I saw as a quarterback on the other side of the ball, number one, number one. He looked like number one. He was about six four, two forty, uh, ripped. Um, he had like this cool neck roll wristbands. He had some TV tape on his fingers for uh, practice, first day, mind you. And uh, he was a bad dude. Uh, I, I saw him from across the field, and I thought, I do not want that guy coming anywhere near me. If he hits me, I'm done. Um, what turned out to be the truth is, is that he was terrible. <laughs> he looked awesome. But he was terrible. If you've played sports, you've, you've run into some of these guys. Even, even in Little League, uh, Grady started playing tackle football this year. And uh, as we were going to get some of the supplies he needed, just the basics like a mouthpiece, uh, we're there in academy and we're looking at all the stuff they have now, you know, even for the little kids. And they've got the arm sleeves and he's, you know, got the, the stickers now. Don't even use the paint. They've got they're just all this, all this stuff. He wanted a little skull cap because he's got long hair and they've been calling him Sunshine now and... And sticking out the back of his helmet. And, you know, he's asking, hey, should I get this? Should I get this? You know, and the fancy, you know, $800 mouthpieces that they've got out now, you know. Um, and, I, and I had to say to him, listen, son, this is your first time playing tackle football. Um, let, me just give you, let me just give you a little word to the wise here. You're not going to go out there putting all this stuff on looking like a million bucks before you actually start to play like you know what you're doing. I mean, it, it really won't look very good, son, if you, if you look the part, but you don't ever play the part. You, you tracking with me? I had another guy on my college football team who was a wide receiver, and as a quarterback, uh, we got to know the wide receivers pretty well. This guy was sharp as well. He always looked like he was ready for TV. And uh, I remember specifically, we as, as a group of quarterbacks and the whole offense kind of knew that this guy, he really wasn't as good as he looked. And uh, it, it, really, it really came to light. One day we were in scrimmage, and uh, he goes out for just an easy slant pass. The quarterback throws him the ball. I'm standing on the sideline watching this, and I'm near the coach's tower, right? Our head coach stood up in this great ivory tower thing, and he would critique from, from above. And uh, this kid ran a slant pass. He hit him right in the hands. He dropped it, and, 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 and he kind of just trotted off, you know, gracefully like he, he normally does. And the coach finally just so frustrated Lawrence, and it was one of those moments where everything just got quiet. So all you could hear was coach, right? Lawrence, you look like Hollywood, but you play like high school. And that became the tagline for Lawrence for the rest of his college career. I mean, we were ruthless, right? College football players, young men, and uh, we called him high school for the rest of the time. He looked the part, but he, but he, wasn't, he wasn't up to par. I think our passage today deals with a little bit of that, that principle, that concept. I mean, do you, ever, do you ever wonder in Christianity, like, who's who? Yeah? You ever, when you were in college, maybe, or even in high school, did they, did they make a little, little thing that you could be in the who's who of high schools of America? 
I have no idea what that's about. Because you give them some money and they put your name in just this catalog of names. I don't know. Maybe it means something. In Christianity, I think we all have that question as we look around. Who is really who? Um, let, let, me, let me explain it this way. If uh, I was going to use Michael Jordan, but now I have to update my illustrations to maybe LeBron. Q, LeBron. If I were to wear a LeBron jersey, put on LeBron shoes, if I were to dress like LeBron, would I play like LeBron? Obviously, no. I'm not going to. I mean, we, can, we could dress it up from the outside, but if it's not in there, it's just not in there. It's not coming out, right, Jackson? I mean, it's never going to happen that I play ball like LeBron or like Jordan just because I've got the shoes on, just because I've got the look, just because I put his number on. In church, sometimes we recognize that, don't we? That, that we, truth is, we got people who show up with all the gear on, with all the accoutrements, with the facade, with all the decor of Christianity or the game that we play that we call Christianity, maybe. And sometimes we look around and we say, man, I don't, that guy's maybe not all he was cracked up to be. Sometimes his life or her life turns in a different direction and we start to wonder, who's who? Sometimes it's pretty discouraging, right? Let me, let me give you a sermon within a sermon right here, okay? Even before we jump into our passage, be careful. Be careful putting your eyes upon other Christians as your model. Now, now the Bible, Paul would tell us to, to follow me as I'm following Christ. The, the trick is there, if only if I'm following Christ, do you follow me? And so... We are to have mentors. We are to have those we look up to. I mean, it's right to be proud of a Billy Graham. It's right to to pattern our life after guys who are following Christ, right? But just be careful. If ever you set your focus on any any Christian, I don't care if it's Billy, I don't care who it is, be careful because guess what? I mean, we can mess it up, right? And then we're left to say, well... If he couldn't do it, or if she couldn't do it, then what about me? Um, maybe a more important question, and maybe a more, a more real question that we do ask, and maybe need to ask, is not the who's who of those out there. But what's really going on with me? I mean, am I, am I a facade? Do I, do I look like Hollywood but actually play this game like high school? I mean, what's, what's really in here? Is it just what's on the outside or is there something that actually backs it up on the inside? The context of John's letter to these who he'll call little children is this. Um, there were men and women, there were people who said they were part of the body, that have now bailed. And they've gone their own way. And not only did they go their own way, but they're, they're doing things in a completely different way than what they were originally taught. And it's leaving those who remain, the little children that John will call them, it's leaving them in the body to say, I thought that guy was solid. I thought, I thought she was a part. I thought they were the real deal. And you can imagine that these little children, these, these new Christians... These children of the king are sitting back and not only wondering about them, but it's causing them to now wonder about themselves. Well, if they, if they, couldn't, if they couldn't stay the course, what about, what about me? And it got even more complicated that as they left, they didn't just leave, but they started, they started sending word back or whispering things that really complicated the issue. Namely, they would say that, listen, I, I, I don't have to live that way anymore. I can, I can live any way I want and still be a part of what we called Christianity. But for some reason or another, they had, they had to go because it didn't fit with what they were originally taught or given. And so there is an obvious separation, but they're trying to communicate back and change from the outside in what truth really was. And John has the job of, of writing back to these who he's already taught. And say, listen, no, nothing has changed here. Not, not in terms of the gospel message. Nothing has changed. If they changed, then they changed. He would say later on, 
Those who have gone out from among us, you've got to understand what we, what, we, what we have to assume is that they were really never part of us to begin with. And that just has to be necessary. But how can you make a statement like that? I mean, I mean, isn't it easy to make a statement like that? That if they go, then they must have never been part of us anyway. Doesn't this sound like a convenient argument? I, I mean, I'll admit. I'll admit. It sounds like a convenient argument. But it's not just convenient. It's a necessary argument. What do I mean by that? That if, that if John doesn't say something like that, then really his gospel message crumbles from the very outset. I'll try and explain that here. I've got a lot of notes for this message, and I'll just be honest with you. I don't really know how they're going to fumble together, trusting the Lord that they will. I'm going to give you one main point for our passage today, and then I'll give you three sub-points. Let me read the verses first. 1 John chapter 2, 3-6. through six. By this we know that we have come to know him. And that's the essential question that I've been alluding to here, is that how do we know we're really his. How do we know we are who we say we are? You know, when people every now and then could just disappear and they become, oh, what's his name, right? It, it, have we had those in church? Have we had those at Cornerstone Church? Yeah, every now and then you just kind of look around and you come to pastor and you say, pastor, hey, you remember that one guy who used to sit kind of over this way? I won't point in any specific direction. And, uh, and, and I don't know where he went. Like, and, and we can't even remember his name. Yeah, what was his name? Yeah, Remember he had the kid and the, yeah, he's disappeared. Not only does that, does that cause us to wonder about them, right? But it also, if it happens enough, it causes us to say, well, who, who is who? Who am I? I mean, this is a question, if John can answer it, it's a, big, it's a big one, right? I mean, if John can tell us the answer to how we know we've come to know him, you got something then, don't you? You got something. I won't ask you to raise your hands. But if you're like me, there are moments in your life, there are moments in your day, there are moments in your Monday, or even in your Sunday afternoon. You you would think that it would, you know Sunday morning would 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 carry over and uh, at least keep your Sunday afternoon clean, right? But there probably will be for many of us moments in our Sunday afternoon that we have to scratch our head and second guess. Man, am I really the real deal here? Wouldn't it be nice if you, if you could have some confidence? Wouldn't it be nice if, you, if there was some way, some, some math equation that would help you? Amen. There's an amen. That, that helped us to understand something about ourselves so that we aren't the little children being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that is coming down the pipe. Because that, that will continue to happen. The issues that John faced, they happen every generation. About every 20 years or so, the same old heresies come about in a new package. So we're going to deal with this. So how do we know? By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. I want you, as I, as I finish just these two verses, I want you to not just hear the verses, but I want you to... I want you to pay attention to how these verses make you feel. Or I want you to put it another way. I want you to pay attention to what you think about when you hear these verses. All right? We'll unpack that a little bit later. But don't just try and understand what he says, but recognize how it makes you feel. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him. And does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in a manner as he walked. Um, how does that make you feel? I mean, what's, what's the gut reaction that that you have in your, in your flesh or in your spirit? How should you receive that word from John? How should you rightly receive that word from John? These aren't just John's words, okay? Before I unpack them a little bit, let me give you the, the main point that I want to give you. 
And I'm going to give you three subpoints. You can jot these down. I may not even mention them again, but it, it can serve you maybe as an outline for where we're going today. Here's the main point. Fellowship with God produces obedience. Fellowship with God produces obedience. And I chose the word fellowship intentionally. You can think about fellowship as a continuous relationship. I could have very easily, and I love the word relationship. My heart is, is drawn to the word relationship uh, more and more as the years go on. But I chose fellowship because fellowship, it identifies that continuous relationship, that daily relationship that you have with God, okay? And so the main point is, is that fellowship with God John will say, produces obedience. Now, here are the subpoints. Jot these down and we'll move on. The subpoints would be this. Number one, obedience creates confidence for your faith. When you're doing the things that God commands, your faith, your faith is bolstered, isn't it? You don't question your faith as much when you seem to be in obedience, right? That just makes sense. The converse is true as well. Disobedience, here's the second sub-point, disobedience undermines confidence of faith. Is that true? And to put it simply, when you're not being obedient to God's commands, don't you just feel like you're a wretch? Don't you just feel like you're probably not who you think you are? Don't the whispers of the adversary turn into shouts to affirm that you probably aren't who you thought you were? Yeah. Disobedience undermines confidence. So we want to have assurance. We want to have confidence, John. Well, understand that fellowship with God produces produces confidence and obedience. How does that happen? Well, if you just look at your life, isn't it true that when you're obedient, your faith is strengthened? When you're disobedient, it feels like your faith is undermined. And here's the third subpoint. We've got to understand that the source of our obedience is not us. The source of your obedience and my obedience, and this is big, it's not you and I. The reason that I asked how you, how you felt about those words is because my presumption is, is that maybe you felt the way I would normally feel about these words. But the, the Spirit has directed me to feel differently about them this week as I was preparing and I, and I really my main goal this morning is that you walk out of here feeling differently about these words in light of some other words in Scripture that I'll share with you. Who do you understand to be really, really the, um, the important player when it comes to your obedience? I mean, who really, who really is the, uh, the main factor behind whether you're obedient or not? I mean, naturally, we would, we would be inclined to say we are. We are. And if I went around the room and I, I took a poll about how you felt as I read these words, my guess is, is that most of us would probably start to wonder about ourselves. These are pretty strong words from John. I mean, it all out comes out and says, you're a liar. <laughs> there's no political correctness here. There's no, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no, there's no really explaining it within a paragraph. He just, he just punches us right in the throat with it, doesn't he? By this we know we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Well, take your time, John. I mean, you know, um, what do you really mean by that, if you keep his commandments? <laughs> Well, okay. And the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. But this we know, by this we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him, you ought to walk in the same way that he walked. If you're like me, here's the point. You, you probably read that and you, you assume that John is trying to Motivate us maybe by some, some avenue of fear or guilt or shame or um, duty, maybe, is, is the right word. I mean, is that how you felt? I mean, do you read passages like that and, and, and you say, you know what, man, I, gotta, uh, I really got to buckle down. 
dang it. I mean, I, I, I know what's going on in my heart and life. I know what I dealt with this past week. I, here we are, one of those passages. If I'm not keeping His commandments, I'm probably not His. I'm probably not who I think I am, who I thought I was. The whole church probably knows it. And you'll buckle down by the end of the service and you'll, you know, you'll ask God, you know, while Ricky's up here singing the last song, all right, I'm going to do better. And, and you'll, you'll geek yourself up. You get all hyped up. You'll bust out of the huddle and you'll, and this is our huddle. And you'll, and you'll go back into the playing field and, you, and you'll try harder this week. Right? Because, man, we don't want John to be talking about us. I mean, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be the liar. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that's really what John wants for us. Do you ever, really, you ever really feel like that's the spirit of what God wants to communicate to his children? I mean, did I mention that John keeps referring to us as little children? What do you think John's heart towards his, his flock is? Do you think it's tender? Or do you think he's bringing down the hammer here? Um, there's, a, there's a big problem in Christianity. In preaching, there's a big struggle, there's a big tension. There is a, an issue in Christianity that has existed from the very beginning that will continue to exist throughout every generation all the way to the end. We'll never preach a sermon, we'll never have a conference, we'll never do anything that will eliminate this problem because it's innate into our fallen nature and we will continue to struggle with the tension. Here, here it is. Let me try and unpack for you what, what the struggle is. All right. On the one hand, we have grace. And on the other hand, we have duty. On the other hand, we have responsibility. And so you'll hear a message that will be preached towards the gospel and highlighting grace that, that says that you could do nothing to earn your own salvation. You were helpless. You were drowning. You needed someone to come from the outside to enter into where you were and redeem you to save you. To grab hold of you. You didn't even have the strength to swim over to the life preserver. You were going down. It was hopeless. God came from the outside and saved you. The faith that you have, Ephesians 2, it's not even your own faith. God gave you the faith to understand grace. And so there's this message that we preach, rightly so, that highlights the fact that that your entire salvation... Your entire story of redemption has to point to God. It cannot point to you. Biblical redemption highlights God. And it doesn't just put God as the, the, the forefront player in the show. It makes him the only star of the show. It's not God plus you helping out with your obedience to create a situation where God will now receive you. It's God's work all on his own. And that's... That's the truth about the gospel. That's why it's amazing grace. Amazing grace is, is unbelievable because God doesn't expect anything from us because he knows us completely. I mean, he, he knows that we're rotten to the core because sin has rotten us. You tracking with me? That, that, that's, the, that's the one side. And we, we, have to, we, have to, we have to preach that hard. But throughout the generations, and it started way back when Paul was preaching that message, you'd get guys who would say, okay, great. <laughs> I mean, if I can't do anything to earn my salvation, and I just have to wave the white flag and just say, I can't do it. You're going to do it for me, God? I'll accept that. I can't believe you're going to do it for me, so I've I got to even have faith to accept that you would, you would pay my debt. And so now I just, I just have faith, and really I don't even have faith in me, but you're going you're gonna, to... You're going to grant me that faith for those who are called and chosen and, and, and that whole thing. Uh, that's how it works. That's how it works. Okay. And as soon as Paul gets that message out, you got people saying, well, if that's the case, then cool. I'll just live however I want to live now. Um, there, were, there were essentially three responses. I wrote them down here so that I, I would be clear on them. Where is it? Where did I put it, Seth? It's on one of these pages. In re- <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank you. That doesn't help me. You guys still there? All right. If given the gospel and the doctrine of justification by faith, and, 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 and these readers had been given that, 
That's part of the struggle, and that's why John's writing them. They've gotten the gospel, and they understand clearly what justification by faith really means, that it's, that it's God and not us and God. They're commonly three responses, and, and Paul had to deal with these in Romans. You, you, get the, you get the response of, well, let us do evil so that good may come. Romans 3.8. Or you get some who say, well, let us sin so that grace may then abound. It makes God look better. The more, the more bad stuff he can cover up, guess what? He gets more glory. And Paul's just got to be shaking his head saying, that's so dumb. But from the human side, I get where, you, I get where you're coming from. But it just doesn't work that way. And there, there's, another, there's another group that might say, well, faith can justify then whether faith gives rise to good works or not. And, and that's what... That's what John has to deal with specifically here. That's what James would deal with. Those who would say, well, listen, I, I, if, if faith is faith, and if it's by grace, and God even gives me that faith, then, then even if that faith doesn't produce anything in me, it's enough. And this is where John comes along and he says to say, well, these things aren't necessarily, these things aren't necessarily true. Uh, even Paul, when uh, he was addressing some of these some of these questions, uh, he, would, he would use what would be near in his language would be near to cursing because he would get so frustrated with them. He would use a phrase in Greek that would be translated in your, in your Bible, may it never be. But as my uh, Greek professor in college would say, it would be akin to him saying, uh, you think this is right? Hell no, that's not right. I'm sorry, children, but that's the strength that you were supposed to get even in our English translation from the Apostle Paul, because that's, that's how ridiculous it would be to him. And your response to that as a hearer would be, we, should, we don't talk like that, Paul. And he says, no, but that's how dumb that is. And so we got, we got guys who, over here, as we rightly preach the gospel in, in, in a complete package of grace that does not include you helping God out, you get responses like that. So what do you have to do as a preacher? Here's what you have to do. As a preacher, you have to come back behind that and you have to say, no, listen, there are, there are some things that are expected of you who are saved by grace through faith. There, there still are some things that, that should be evident in your life. There's still some outside stuff that should give us evidence of the inside stuff. And you get passages then like we find in James, which Martin Luther had a, had a really hard time with. Because he was, he was so embracing faith alone that he had a hard time understanding that true faith works itself out from the inside. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to, he didn't want to even be a part of anything that alluded to the fact that you and I have anything that we're responsible for doing. In fact, one of his buddies um, came along and, and the story goes that Luther uh, kind of put a challenge out there that if anybody could, could, could bring together some of these verses that sem- seemed to him to be contradictory, he would, uh, he would uh, essentially grant them his doctoral hat, uh, which was a big deal in that day. We, you and I don't, don't fully understand that. But, but for Luther, that was a big deal. And one of his contemporaries, I can't really uh, find out who gets the full credit for it, but one of his contemporaries came back and said, we are saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves is never alone. Let me say that again. We're saved by faith alone. But that kind of faith is never alone. Meaning that there will be some evidence to it. There will be some fruit to it. Now, I, I said to you just a moment ago that these aren't just John's words. John got them, I think, from Jesus. And that's a good place to get your sermon, right? So turn in your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen. John chapter 15. Let me show you this. John chapter 15. See if you hear a little bit of this through Jesus. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you seeing some similarities there? Let me go to James because I've mentioned James now a couple times. And I just want you to hear some of this so that you can, you can sense the tension in your own heart and mind. So just from First John, just turn back to your left about five or ten pages. James chapter 2, it's a popular section of Scripture. Maybe you've heard it before. See how you feel when you hear these verses. But be careful how you feel. What use is it, my brethren? I'm in James 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? You see, James is coming along and he's combating those who fall into one of those three error categories that I already alluded to, that Paul's already preached towards, that he said, how can you even, how can you even think that? If you're really in him, how could you even think that? And so James is trying to combat that as well, and here's how he does it. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? It'd be like you, mom, dad, your child coming to you and say, hey, I need breakfast. And you're like, cool, but you do nothing about it. You never actually feed them. But, you, but you, just, you just agree with them that they need it, but you don't give it to them. You know how ridiculous that would be? Sometimes what I like to do to Corbin when he comes to me and says, hey, I'm hungry, is I give him the old line, hi, I'm daddy, good to meet you, right? He doesn't like that. <laughs> it's not funny to him. No, and he's a pretty literal kid. No, I'm not saying that my name is hungry, daddy. <laughs> I'm saying that I need food in my belly. Stop messing around. <laughs> I mean, that's how ridiculous. This is what James is saying. I mean, why would you, why would you just say, oh, go in peace and be warm? That's, that's ridiculous. But what he's saying is that when it comes to our Christianity, some, that's how some of us play the game. It's all, it's all just talk, but there's really nothing. Notice on the inside that's evidencing itself on the outside. Did you notice some of that language? I meant to point it out when, when Jesus was speaking. Talking about the inside? I'm going to highlight it when we go back to John. Go in peace, be filled, yet do not give them what is necessary. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, Your faith, uh, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So it's not just about what you know. And I'm going to highlight the word know back in 1 John as well because in, in Scripture, knowing something always requires an intimacy, right? Okay? That Abraham knew his wife. Tracking with me, grown-ups? <laughs> okay? It always requires a, a, a deeper level of intimacy. Even so, faith that has no works is dead by itself. You believe God is one. You do well. The demons believe it and they shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, the word for foolish there is the Greek word that could be translated empty. You're empty. You see the picture? Nothing on the inside. That faith, that faith, that kind of faith that you're trying to sell me without works is useless. The word useless there could be translated barren. Nothing, nothing on the inside. You tracking with the imagery? Verse 21, James 2, was not Abraham. He's going to use two examples here to bolster his case. He's going to use the father of Israel, and then he's going to use a converted prostitute. He's going to use a Jewish man and a Gentile woman. Both ends of the spectrum here. He's going to use to make his point. He's going to use Abraham. Who else is he going to use? You know the story? Rahab. And he's going to highlight that their faith was evidenced by what they actually did out here in the real world. So for those who would say, listen, I got the faith inside, it's good to go, it doesn't matter what I do out here. John would say, Jesus would say, James would say, that, that doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. I'm going to skip the examples. I want you to see the last verse of chapter 2 in James. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I want you to notice something here. James draws a parallel, and it's worth, it's worth noting where the lines fall. So if you're looking in your scripture, you can circle the first two words, body and the spirit. 
because that's, that's the setup here, okay? And if you were to circle the next two words that he wants to parallel those words to and draw lines between those that they should be paralleled to, where would the lines fall? He's comparing the body and the spirit and faith and works. And he's trying to see if there's any connection, if there's any necessary connection to the two. And the point he's making this, number one, is a body without the spirit is what? It's dead. It's empty. It's barren, you might say. Okay? It doesn't work that way. It can't, can't function. Now, the parallel that he draws in the order is this. Faith without works is what? Also dead. So if you were to circle body, what would you draw a line to to connect it in the parallel? You teachers out there? Faith. It's the first. Body is to spirit as faith is to works. Now, here's the interesting thing that you need to understand about the parallel. You might, you might have assumed that the body without the spirit is dead. That makes sense. The outside, the shell, without the inside, we're dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith, you would have thought, would have been the thing on the inside, and the works would have been the things on the outside. But as they fall in the parallel, it, it's as if James is saying the thing that's on the inside is what? It's the, it's the works. You know what I think he's trying to communicate? Is those, those, those works, that fruit that Jesus talked about in John 15, it, it works itself out from the inside. If you don't have the spirit in the shell, you're dead. If the works aren't there in your faith, then it's just an empty dead shell as well. Go back to 1 John. Let's try and wrap this up. 1 John chapter 2. There are two dangers, remember? And John is trying to avoid them. I want to point out a few things as we draw back into 1 John 2. Verse 3, By this we know that we have come to, what is the phrase? Know Him. So, the idea here for the big question that we need to be asking about the who's who and are we the real deal the, the way that John is trying to comfort us as little children and his original readers in their original context is by pointing them to their relationship. Okay? Is he pointing them first and foremost to their activity? No, it's about their relationship. So how do you know that you know him? I mean, the big question here is, are we in relationship with him? Are we in, remember what I said earlier? Are we in fellowship with Him? How do we know that? Here's how we know it. Is if we keep His commandments. Now does that mean every single one, every single day, that if we, if we fail to keep one of the commandments, then, then we fail this passage? No. I think within context here and within everything He's already said, John does not, John does not teach us that we should be living lives or that we can live lives that are completely without sin, not in the here and the now. Remember some of the things he's already said? Um, if we sin, we have an advocate. What does that infer? You will. Little children, make sure you, you understand you have that advocate. Even earlier than that, if you say that you have no sin, you lie. What does that infer? You got sin. So he's already established that. So he's not saying here that your individual sins exclude you from being who you thought you were. Is that good news? That's good news. Instead, what he's saying here is that it would be a lifestyle of, of sin. It would be an ongoing, pervasive, unrepentant life that seeks not to honor God by keeping his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments lifestyle across the board you have no desire to keep his commandments not that you're struggling out there well with your sin and you fall every now and then john would say little children that's going to happen that's going to happen but listen for those guys who are out there in in this lifestyle of pervasive sin that's a whole another that's a whole another category if you think you know him you see that phrase again it was in verse 3 you want to know if you've come to know Him? If you say that you know Him, 
and you're not keeping His commandments, then guess what? You don't know Him. Look at the phrase at the end of verse 5. But whosoever keeps His word, in Him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. It's the same thing that ended verse 4. The phrase, in Him. You notice the pointing to the inside? Now, what is John trying to highlight here for us? For those who are questioning who's who, it's about, it's about the one that you know intimately and that resides in you. Is it a highlight of, or is it an evidence of your Christianity, the things that are going on on the outside? Yes, it is. But are the things going to go on on the outside if there's nothing on the inside? No. It's as if he's saying here that if, if, if you don't know him, then he's not inside of you. If he's not in you, then don't expect to do any of the outward things, the commandment keeping things. Because you who, who keep his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now I want you to notice something else here. In verse 5, notice that it's past tense. Do you catch that? Whoever keeps his word in him, there's that phrase again, the love of God, and that's an interesting point to make, that he's going to focus on the love of God here. The love of God has truly been perfected. Past tense. It's not being perfected as you keep the commandments. If he's in you, you've been perfected. It's who you are. And by this, we know that we are in him. Are we his? Do you know him? Do you know him? I mean, do you have a, do you have a depth of relationship with Him? If so, then it will be necessarily true that, that you're going to see and we will see and the world will see that you have a tendency towards keeping His commandments, not shunning or breaking His commandments. The one who says He abides in Him. Isn't that an interesting word? The word abides means to take up residence. The one who says, I live with Him or that He, he lives in me. The one who says that God has taken up residence, tabernacled, tented in this in this tent, in my flesh, the one who says that, the one who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so these things are necessarily true. They're necessarily true. Let me try and wrap this up. Pull some of this together for you. How should you feel when you read this? I don't think you should, I don't think you should feel like you're in danger, little children. I don't think at the hearing of John's correction towards the errors that are being thrown at this church or the errors that get thrown at this church, I don't think we should hear John's words and walk away in fear, little children. I think John and Jesus and James would have us hear those words Understanding them rightly, walk away from here taking great confidence. In what? In ourselves? No. In the gospel? Yes. In God's love that has perfected us? Yeah. In His grace that saw us for who we were from beginning to end? For a God who knew you completely, and yet loved you still? Yeah. But there's always a danger, isn't there? My hunch is and was, will continue to be, and yours should be as well, that your natural reaction and my natural reaction to hearing that there should be some fruit and some evidence in our life, our natural response our natural tendency as humans will be to flood back into legalism. That's why your heart and my heart at any hint of the things that should be evidence in our life goes automatically back to saying, man, I better do those things or God won't love me. Man, I better do those things because, and maybe you don't think through this consciously, but in your heart and in your mind, on some level, it is our tendency as we abide still in this flesh that, that the the old man will raise his ugly head and the father of the old man will step in and whisper and shout if he must, yeah, you're probably not who you thought you were. When John's hope for his little children 
is this. Listen, I know some guys left. And I know they're playing this game a whole other way. And I know they got this whole thing going on on the outside, but it really doesn't seem like they're doing the things on the inside anymore. Like It, it seems like we've realized that they, they're just an empty shell, that they're, that they're a dead body walking around with no spirit in them. Well, you've got to understand that they're, they're dead men walking around with no spirit in them. That's just the fact of the matter. Because if Christ is in you, guess what? You start to look more like your father. Not because you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and start doing more good Christian stuff, but because he's in you. And it has to work that way. I could take you to different passages. Let me just give you one. Philippians 1, if you want to turn with me. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians let me give you one six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, who started the work in you, who started it? He did. Will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, you catch that phrase? Work it out from the inside out. <laughs> Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is who? God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If he's in you, 1 John 1, if he's in you, this is just what it looks like. John's words aren't intended to get you to work harder. It's not, it's not a coach's pep talk that John's giving. He's just stating the facts, the necessary facts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know him, if he's in you, this is what it looks like. This is not a rah-rah church, go out and be better at, at living your Christian life and at not sinning. And we go out there and try better not to sin. No. How are we to feel about John's words? I think, I think, I think we're to sit back and be comforted. As we start to realize, you know what? There are some people out there who are just an empty show. And, and he's not really in them. But he, he is in me. And I know he's in me because I, has this, I have this new nature, this new predisposition that wants to keep his commandments, that wants to serve his will. And that's necessarily true because the reality is, is that he's doing it He's doing it from beginning to end. He's working it out. He's working out His goodwill and His good pleasure through me. And so if I say that I walk with Him, my walk should look like Him because He's the one inside me doing the walking. So be of good cheer. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ask you to be in this room today so that I could, I could beat you over the head with a message that would guilt you into going out there and being the better Christian that that we all want you to be. No. His banner over us is His love. Paul said it's His love that compels me. Romans 2.4, it's the goodness of God. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Let's pray. Father God, the result of Your Gospel is that we sit back in awe We're thankful that you are working out our salvation from the inside because you live inside of us. And we live in you. That's part of the package deal. There are no other ways that this thing works. There are no exceptions. It's not a you and me working it together. It's a, it's a you thing, Lord. That brings great comfort to the little children who may be asking as they stumble here or there, as they squint their eyes in this dark world, as they try and uh, walk past temptations. And, and Lord, sometimes as they, as they trip and fall over those temptations, Lord, it's good news for them that they are to be of good courage. To be of good cheer because... You're in us.
Lord, help us to know that um, help us to know that you love us, and that when we face temptations, your prompting is actually the best thing for us. Sometimes, Lord, we uh, we choose to do what we want to do in a moment of temptation. I think what we actually say in those moments is that is that God, you must not want the best for us. Because what we want to do is obviously going to be better. Lord, the truth is, as John will later say, you are love. You're the epitome of love. You want the absolute best for us. Whatever direction that you are prompting us towards is the best thing for us. It calls us to trust your love for us, Father. We as your little children, we rest in your presence. We don't leave this place pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, trying to do better. We leave this place with a giant smile on our heart and mind because we know that you, you started this whole thing. You carry us along the way and you'll finish it. Lord, our obedience is because we love you. We're blown away by your grace. We're blown away that you you paid it all for us. So Lord, in this next moment, would uh, would you speak, Holy Spirit, words of comfort and truth, correct doctrinal words to our heart so that the little children can stand strong in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.